This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Hello, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. We're going to be taking a look at Revelation chapter 11 here in just a moment, but let me get you up to speed with everything that's going on. Uh, Obviously, this is uh, um, end of uh, October. I'm pre-recording this. It's Tuesday morning, and it is cold outside. I know it's only like 49 degrees here in Cape Creek. Well, I say only. I remember not too long ago where that would that was not cold to me at all. But I have, I think, completely and fully acclimated to the Arizona weather over these since the 90s. And now, man, 49, that's just cold for me. Oof. And I'm, uh, I'm glad that this is happening so I can start getting used to it because next week, next weekend on November the 7th and the 8th and part of the 9th there Saturday morning, we're going to be conducting the Tackling the Text workshop. This is our seventh year doing Tackling the Text up in Prescott, Arizona at the Copper Basin Bible Camp. We do this every year. We get up there and uh, invite some speakers. Guy Orbison Jr. always brings us the the main uh, lessons, and we pick a, a particular book that he will study through. We've done Ephesians, Galatians, James, all of Romans. We did the first part of Hebrews last year. We're finishing Hebrews this year. And he types up a full, wonderfully made commentary. You get that commentary. You get to hear his lessons from the book. Ask him questions. We have a guest speaker, Tyson uh, Calise. He's a um, Oh, Max, you. I think he's he's in Missouri. I think now, and he was he's going to be bringing us some lessons as well, some topicals to kind of give guy a break and break things up for us. Full meals, great meals. You'll be getting uh, between everything. It's uh, looking good. We have right now registered about thirty four, thirty five. Some folks always show up without registering, so we're we're expecting probably about the same number we usually get between forty and fifty. I would, I really want to get to that sixty to seventy number. That's every year. That's my goal, but we just haven't been able to quite break into uh, that yet. But if you're out there, you're interested, go take a look at www.tacklingthetext.com. I have information up there on registering. You can register there. Show up. It's only fifty dollars. You get the commentary. You get a place to sleep. For that night, you get five full meals, great uh, fellowship, and great study. That is nothing. <laughs> that's really, I mean, I know it's 50 bucks is a lot of money, but for everything we do and everything you get, that's nothing. Nothing at all. We're, we're really uh, going all out with this. So I encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, think about it, pray about it. You got you got till next week. Come on, you can do it. Thursday night is when it starts. So you can finish up work, head up there. You just need to take one day off, Friday. Take that Friday off and spend that time up there in the woods of Prescott, Arizona. We have lodges. We have barracks. We have uh, showers. and It's real nice up there. 
If you have an RV or a trailer, we have full hookups up there as well. Think about that. www.tacklingthetext.com. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapters 8 to 13. And, of course, after that, uh, the only next big thing I think we have uh, here and uh, is going to be Thanksgiving. And my in-laws are here with my family, seeing the grandkids, and been, they've been a great help as well. So please think about that, pray about that. Uh, feel free to get on Facebook and ask me questions about that, and I'll be more than willing to do that for you. I'm hoping to get a phone number set up for all this soon, and if that way people can call or text me as well. All right, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. We're going to be doing the whole chapter. And let's start. We're not going to read the whole thing through at once. We're going to do it in sections. And let's start by looking at verses 1 through 4. Uh, you know what? Let me, real quick, in chapter uh, 9, that was where we had the, the, trump, uh, the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet. These are the also called the woes. Remember that, e- uh, that bird, the eagle, I think, was flying and said, whoa, 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 the three woes for the next three trumpets to come. So we've, we've heard the fifth trumpet. We've heard the sixth trumpet in chapter 11. In chapter 10, he sees another angel. He has that little book, and he tells uh, uh, John to eat it. So he does eat it, and it makes his it tastes sweet to his mouth, but it was made his stomach bitter. And they said to him in verse eleven, "You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings." Then chapter eleven. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, "Get up." And measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Oh, I I went too far. I'm only only supposed to go to verse 4. Apologize. All right. Verse 1. There's a lot going on in this chapter, so pay attention. I wish I had a whiteboard or maybe did a video you could see here. First one, you got that. He tells him to measure out the temple. Measuring could mean either protection or destruction. A measure is a standard to go by. If you measure up, you will be saved. If not, you're rejected. This measuring separates the accepted from the rejected. Not talking about the works you do, but are you dying to self and living for Christ? The temples, the house of God, it's the spiritual people of God being measured. The altar, a uh, place of Old Testament sacrifice, that's spiritually the worship of the people of God. And those who worship, obviously that's the church. In verse 2 he says, leave out the court. That seems to refer to those who make some efforts to worship or who claim to be Christians, but they are not. 
those who are in name only. So don't even bother measuring them. Tread the holy city. Although the city is tread underfoot, the temple is not touched. Physical persecution of Christians, but they are spiritually untouched. Now you got that 42 months. This is the Christian age. Um, let's see. I got that here on my chart. The 42 months. <clears throat> um, you know what? I, we're going to come back to that. I don't want to give you a little bit here and there. After we hit the three and a half and everything else that's going to be mentioned, I'll go back and I'll hit on all these numbers, the 42 months, 1,260 days, three and a half days, time, times, and a half a time, and then 42 months again. And we'll, I'll go back and I'll explain what that is because they're all tied in together, I, I believe. In verse 3, you got two witnesses. This is There's some different views on this. One view is they're just two unknown people. Some people say it's Moses and Elijah, two great people. Some say it's Moses and Christ, like prophets. Some say it's Enoch and Elijah because they never died. Uh, some say it's the Old Testament, the New Testament. Some say it's the church and her ministers and the missionaries. Others say it's the church and Christ or Holy Spirit. Um, I want to get into what I think that is here in, uh, after we look at verse 4. Yeah, the prophecy, the, they speak for uh, another. Uh, the sackcloth denotes repentance. Message concerns a charge. It's the gospel message of repentance. In verse 4, you have two olive trees. Uh, olive trees are there because they supply the oil to burn the lamps, which are the two lampstands. They give off light from the burning oil. Now, with that, you got the two witnesses, the prophesying, the olive trees, the lampstands. I think the two witnesses are the word of God and the people of God. Christians are the light of the world. That's the lampstands. The word, that's the olive trees. It replenishes the light in every generation. Two would refer to both the Old Testament and the New Testament, as far as the two olive trees. And to the people of God, the two lampstands. You have the Israelites, those who were of God and the Christians of God. Both dispensation from the old and the new. And I think that's what's going on here. That makes the most sense to me. All right, verses 5 to 10. I accidentally already read verse 5, but we'll read it again. Now to verse 10. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Talking about the two witnesses. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. 
and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Interesting. All right, verse 5, tough verse. Fire from their mouths may indicate the judgmental aspects of what they teach against all who oppose. We might see here the protection of God. His word and his people cannot be harmed, spiritually speaking. There will, uh, there will be those who try to destroy harm, both the word and the church, and note their efforts historically, but they will ultimately, at judgment, be defeated. At verse 6, you get the power, they have the power to shut up the sky. It reminds us of Elijah, the power over the waters. Sends us back to the days of Moses and the ten plagues. These were two great prophets of God, testifying to the world of God's greatness and the need for righteousness. The miracles they performed exhibited the fact that God was behind them and their message. The meaning here seems to be that God has empowered or sent these two witnesses in whatever generation of time. Verse 7, uh, they finished their testimony. They've said their peace, so to speak. They presented the truth from God. The world now knows where they stand, and the world doesn't like the testimony they've heard because it's condemning of what the world wants. So here comes the beast up out of the abyss. Seems to be a reference to something sent out by hell. I don't believe this is Satan who is symbolized as the dragon or serpent, but certainly an ally of his. It is whoever opposes the truth presented by uh, the witnesses and certainly represents Rome in the first century. They try to kill, that is to silence the testimony. This is not specifically martyrdom of Christians, although that would be a part of the world's efforts to cut off the condemnation of of the word and church, but simply the means employed to end any effectiveness in the teaching of righteousness. Verse 8, you got the dead bodies. There they are. They lie in the street in open view. Therefore, they are seen, but they are not heard. Huh? Note where they lie. In the great city. Could be Babylon symbolizing worldliness and sin. Sodom was extreme wickedness. Egypt, enslavement. And where also the their Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem, but symbolic of the wrong approach to religion. Here is an encompassing picture of the world and its opposition to God's will. The world looks, in verse 9, at the bodies for three and a half days, representing the Christian age. We're going to get more on that here in a little bit. But as for uh, a short period of time... That's what they're going to watch. They will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb, showing their disrespect for them and their efforts to put them on public display. And verse 10 shows that the world will rejoice. They'll be glad that the word and the church are not able to condemn them anymore. The conscience of the world is seared. Sin no longer carries guilt for them. Note the current openness of sexual immorality, abortion, and, you know, now it's gender fluidity that's going on today. And where's the church? She's pretty much silent, isn't she? We're dead. 
We're not dead physically, but we don't have much of a voice anymore. The, the, a lot of the nation, uh, evil nations out there have uh, silenced the church pretty effectively, and we don't have much of a voice. But well, some of us are trying, but they really are working hard to shut us down. Um, oh, I almost skipped that part. Okay, verses 11 to 14. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. And in, and in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. <clears throat> We're seeing here in verse 11 a vision of the last day. The word and the saints will judge the world in that last day. The word, uh, verse 12, and the church will abide forever. At verse uh, 13, the earthquake that symbolizes the final judgment. You got a tenth, the first <clears throat> complete. Excuse me. <clears throat> the first complete. This is not a third or a fourth. Um, one aspect of the final and complete judgment. Remember, ten. Even though it says it's a tenth, ten is a number that symbolizes completeness. You count to ten. You start over. You have ten fingers. You have ten toes, and then you know ten, 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 ten. That's denotes completeness. 7,000, we see that number. God's final dealing with man. That's the number seven, is God's will for man on earth. So here's his final dealing with man. Judgment has come. God is utterly through with man. And the rest, they're in verse 13. Every knee will bow at the end, but it's going to be too late. And therefore, they're terrified. Repentance is impossible without the word. Where's the word? It's gone. It already went up to heaven. These cannot be measured when the standard of measurement is removed. You see? That's what he was talking about in the beginning. So note, verses 1 through 13 showed the reality of what's happening since the day of Pentecost here in our world. The world, Rome in the first century, and in every generation, another nation, will reject the message of God presented in his word and church. The world will silence God's voice through persecution, ignoring whatever. But it is the word and the saints who will rise up in judgment to condemn the world. It may appear now that the world is victorious. But when the end comes, the true victory will be realized. These verses give an overview of the Christian age. Now, the sounding of the seventh trumpet will give another picture of the end. And of course, verses 15 to the end of the chapter, here's the seventh trumpet. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, 
and there were and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he will reign forever and ever and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before god fell on their faces and worshiped god saying we give you thanks O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants and the, and the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. And the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hell storm. All right, verse 15. Loud voices. These can be heard over any other voice. Everyone will be able to hear. You got the kingdom. That's the spiritual kingdom of the earth. Now becomes the eternal kingdom of the saved. Verses 16 and 17, glory is given to God for the completion of his divine will. The eternal home of the saved is now a reality. This is heaven. Everything God had planned, even before the foundation of the world, is fulfilled and has become reality. This is not something that's going to happen here on the literal earth, folks. This is talking about heaven in, in, up there in the realm of God. Verse 18, these are... Statements of what will occur at the end of time. The time of struggle is over, and the victory has been won. And then verse 19, you got the temple. That's the true temple where God dwells in heaven. The ark, the symbol of God with his people. The lightning and the thunder, the earthquake, the hailstorm, perhaps the voice and the presence, the power and the glory of God. And that ends the chapter. That's the end of the uh, seven trumpets. So you got those numbers thrown throughout chapter 11, 42 months, 1,260 days, three and a half days, a time, times, and a half a time. Now, that's from chapter 12. Some of these are from chapter 12 and 11 as well, um, and 13. But 42 months, that's the uh, uh, treading on the holy place there, chapter 11, verse 2. 1,260 days, that's two witnesses prophesying. Guess what that is? <laughs> we're going to get to that in, in chapter 12 also. Uh, three and a half days. Well, and if I, on my chart, I got three and a half on the Old Testament side of the cross, three and a half on the New Testament side of the cross. When you add those two together, you get seven. And that goes from the very beginning of time to the end of time, God's complete purpose for man. The numbers representing time are all different ways of looking at the same period of time here. 42 months is three and a half years. 1,260 days is actually 42 months. A time, that's one. A times, plural, two, that's three. And half a time adds up to three and a half. Now, I don't think that's a stretch. All of this points to the Old Testament age, the New Testament age, and the number seven, God's complete purpose for man. We're looking at both sides of things. The Old Testament age is over. It came to an end. The New Testament age is coming to an end. That's the three and a half. 
That's all these numbers are representing. There's nothing more to be seen here by that. People who like to go take those numbers and try to pinpoint a date, the coming of Christ, you can't know when Jesus is coming. No one knows. God will not reveal it to one single human being on this earth ever. If he's not going to tell his son, he's not going to tell you or me. And no other person, no matter how persuasive persuasive they might be, God will not tell them. But what we can know is God's word. We can deduce some things there. Here's what I think is going to happen based on what we see here and what I've read other places throughout the New Testament. I think I know what the world's going to be like when God sends his son. When is that going to be? I don't know. Only God can possibly know that. I think the last person who's going to be baptized into Christ, that is, and God's the only one who can possibly know this, the last person who will ever accept the truth as being from God. And after that, no matter how long earth stays, no one else will ever accept the truth after that. That is the end. I believe God is going to get every single person the opportunity. He knows who's going to accept the truth. And so when that last person accepts, then what good does the earth serve anymore? In chapter 11 here, we see the two witnesses, which represents the word and God's people. They're dead. The world has silenced them. They can't can't affect the minds and hearts of the people on the earth anymore. No one's listening. They're ignoring them, persecuting them, them, keeping them down. So they're not, it's not affecting the heart anymore. Now, once the last person is baptized, then what's the purpose? And it's time to bring everything to an end and send his son. Think about that. Keep reading. We're going to keep working through the book of Revelation. i got a lot going on these few weeks, so that's why we're doing this. I uh, haven't been able to get into too much on the news, which is probably good considering how the news is. And so it's always encouraging to know that God's always there. Even when things look like we're not winning, we win. That's the whole point of the book of Revelation. We won. Just keep on keeping on for the Lord and remember that. And may the blessings of the Lord be with you in all that you do as we strive to do his will on this earth. Amen, brothers and sisters. Have a great day. Sitting up to sweep away till she'll done the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.